Looking forward to that. It's coming up here in a few weeks. We'll start collecting boxes from all the area churches and packing our own. So uh, be in prayer about that, uh, your involvement. Uh, today, after second service, we'll be getting ready. We've, I don't remember the last time we've had the harvest party on a Sunday before uh, and starting it at three o'clock and the service gets over at 1230. So we have, <laughs> I know, I'm like, I didn't think that went through very well. Um, but we wanted to get it early because we pay for the inflatables, so we want them to be used as much as possible tonight. And so we said, we'll get here, you know, they're going to be here at noon. They'll be setting up while we're still having service for second service. And I got to think, well, that gives us two hours to turn this place around into that. So um, you first service people are not, you got to come back. I'm just kidding. If you can come back and help, that'd be great. If you can't, I understand be in prayer that we'd be able to get it set up for them and ready for the party tonight. Um, so anyway, that's tonight. Starts uh, at three o'clock, and it'll go till nine o'clock tonight. Um, and anybody that wants to come and help, involve, I know we put out the sheet there for anybody that wants to help. Um, we really only have a few things that really need help, and that's that laser tag out there. It really has to be monitored with two or three people to get the kids set up with what they need to get inside, to get out, time them, and all that stuff. So that's kind of a, a one that really needs to be overseen. Everything else is kind of like just make sure no one's broken a leg or something out there, you know, just kind of. And if they have, you'd call them that. Well, the ambulance will be here. We're having an ambulance come. So, um, well, that'll be, hopefully we won't need it, right? Um, but it'll be here. So anyway, that's today. All right, today we're going to be in Job chapters 15 and 16. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. 15 and 16. Job still has his wonderful volunteer counselors next to him. And... <laughs> We begin to see, I think, in these two chapters more the messianic meaning behind it and the, the, the seeing of Job going through things, um, wounded by his friends. You know, uh, we'll see that more and more as we go through this. Now, Job isn't the perfect uh, example. None of them were. Joseph, jo- uh, Joshua, none of them were perfect examples, but they were uh, types of Christ in, in, the, in the scriptures here. And so Job is a type in the sense that uh, he's been nominated to be attacked by Satan. He's been nominated to be tested by Satan and then also to be misunderstood by his friends. And so we can kind of see the similarities here. Similarities, not perfect, but similarities. And so Elphaz, one of his buddies, the Temnite, um, has been uh, rebuking him and will continue to rebuke him here. Um, he goes back and forth. Elphaz started off really nice and kind with soft, gentle words. And, he, and Elphaz tells us that so much in verse chapter 15. But now it's time to lay down, you know, time to get Job's attention. So this is where he picks up his uh, volume and uh, his temperature rises here because Job just isn't getting it. Job just isn't understanding that he's a wicked man and that he needs to repent and that he's got a lot of sin in his life. And although I have no idea, Elphaz says, what that might be, there must be because evil things are happening to you. And it's just the way it is. And what I, what I took away from this one as I'm, as I'm going through this with you, as a pastor who actually constantly has to get up here every week and say, now these guys don't know what they're talking about, but we're going to read it anyway. That's a hard thing to teach sometimes. But I think about the volunteer counselors. That's what really struck me about this is these three men were not invited to come help Job. They had come and volunteered their wisdom and counsel and consolation, and they brought it to Job. Now, Job has yet to say, you could go home now anytime. He hasn't said that to him because I think he, he's going back and forth. 
And so the scripture that comes to mind, I think, is Proverbs 26, uh, 4 through 6. And I better get my notes out here real quick. It's the only cross-reference I have, and I didn't give it to Aaron so um, to put up. Anyway, Proverbs 26. It's a, it's a funny proverb that's hard to decipher, but I get it. I mean, I understand the, the, the writer's difficulty, but here's what it says. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. And then the very next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. So you can kind of, you get that sense that he's like, you know what? Don't even waste your time talking to them. And yet shut them down. You got to shut them down because if you don't let that get answered, they're going to think that that's right. You know, and so he's struggling, it seems like. To, to follow that. And that's what I see here. It's like Job is trying not to answer them according to their folly, and yet he can't let their words stand because it's not truth. And that's very important. Um, I don't want to sound like them. I don't want to join in with them. I don't want to be brought down into the mud pit with them, I think is what the first part, the verse four of Proverbs 26 is getting at. Don't, don't bring yourself down to them to where you find yourself fighting in the mud. And yet... Don't let anybody think that what they're saying is true either. Make sure they have an answer for that. No, no, that this is what's actually going on here. And so Eliphaz, as he brings up his rhetoric and, and, and tries to provoke Job to, to repentance is what he thinks he's doing. He, 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 he forgets that he's a volunteer, that he wasn't asked to come. And this is always my uh, this has been the thing that popped off the page the most. So verse one, then Elphaz the Temnite answered and said, should a wise man answer with empty knowledge and fill himself with the east wind? Should he reason with unprofitable talk or by speeches with which he can do no good? Yes, you cast off fear and restrain prayer before God. That's our first break. Elphaz comes to the conclusion that Job is casting off prayer before God. He's restraining. He's not praying. He's not being honest with himself. He's not being honest with his walk. He's come to these conclusions. And as a volunteer counselor, it's a very dangerous place to put yourself in when you show up into someone's life, insert yourself into their life. You've not been asked. You've inserted yourself into their life. And you begin to give them the conclusions that you see. Now, you don't have a word of knowledge. You don't have a word of wisdom that you've received from the Lord. Now, maybe you've said you have, but more than likely, it's just come from your own heart. And you just wanted to share that. It happens a lot with volunteer counselors. They just want to show up into your life and they want to give you what they think you ought to know from their experience. But they're looking at it horizontally. They don't have a, a vertical message from God or anything. They're just trying to tell you, here's what it is. And that's very, it's, the, the, the view they have is very, very limited. And this is a great example of that. If you go to, turn back to Job chapter 1 verse 8, that's not the case. Job hasn't cast off fear. Job hasn't restrained his prayer before God. In fact, uh, we know from chapter 1 verse 8 that God nominated him for these specific reasons. And they are, as I get here. Have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? We have to remind ourselves that's the true perspective of Job. I mean, that's the real, that's God's vision of him. That's what God sees. Much, much better view of, of, of his servant, Job. God has a much better view of you than anybody else around you. Um, and that's very important to keep that in mind. I, um, not recently, but um, 
maybe looking back when I was under the age of 30, um, which is just a while ago. Um, but I remember trying to discern the Lord's will in my life, tried to understand God's leading in my life, tried to figure out what the Holy Spirit was trying to do. And I got it wrong a lot, a lot. Um, and, and I still do. I'm not saying I've got it down now, but I'm, I'm better. It's clearer to me now. I've, I've, I've learned to hear my shepherd's voice. But at the time, it was like, I really think God wants me to do this. And I jump and do it and by faith, you know, and God honored that faith. He made sure that I had a parachute when I landed. You know, I didn't, I didn't die. Um, but it was a fall, you know, nevertheless, it was the wrong decision to make. And when you, when that happens to you enough, you begin to doubt that you're hearing from God and you begin to listen to everybody else around you who seems to know more about God than you do. You're pretty sure they have a better handle on God than you do. And so you begin to listen to them. And if you're not careful in evaluating that, you begin to, uh, think not only do they know more, but that you're better off listening to them. When actually, if you were to do the side-by-side comparison, you're making just the same amount of mistakes as you did when you were listening to God speaking to you personally instead of somebody else. And so uh, it's important to get back to that, to, to listening to the Holy Spirit speak and lead and guide you um, so that you can, first of all, hear your shepherd's voice and know Jesus and can discern the difference between his voice, your voice, other people's voices, other voices in your head, other whatever is going on, but you can hear his voice and to learn that, to discern that, and you get better and better at trusting him and knowing that my relationship with him, I I get it. I understand him. I know what he really wants me to do now. And you make less mistakes. You still make mistakes, but you make less. Well, um, I've noticed a a lot of people not... um, Gosh, I don't know how to bring this around. I was struggling with this while I was studying too. Um, I don't know where to start and where to stop and where not to get personal and where not to go too far. But I notice a lot of people have replaced, and this is the best way I can describe it, replaced their relationship with God with church. And the best way I can describe that is when you have, when you're going to counsel somebody I think your counseling should always be geared towards teaching them to fish as opposed to giving them a fish. I'm all for giving them a fish, but also teaching them how to get the fish. There's compassion. There is uh, empathy. There's pity for people that you want to also feed them. You don't want to be negligent and say, well, you know, if you're really hungry, you go fish. You want to give them the fish, give them that sustenance that they need. But you also want to teach them how to fish. And I, in, in, the, in Christendom, in Christianity, that is what we're supposed to do is to learn how to, at first we have milk and we need that and it's given to us and we grow thereby and we get stronger and we get healthier, but eventually we get teeth and we need to learn spiritually how to chew and digest our own food, to prepare our own meals, to be able to come up with these things from scripture and, and get it and apply it without having someone to stick a bottle in my mouth, you know? And, and the scripture teaches that very well. And so what I find is volunteer counselors love volunteer counseling because they come into your life and they're going to tell you what to do and what's wrong and how everything's going, but they don't teach you to seek the Lord. They don't sit alongside of you. Not, not all volunteer counselors, don't get me wrong. Um, 
But I'm, I'm always leery of someone who wants to jump into my life so quickly and tell me what I'm not hearing from God. Okay. Well, I'm more concerned about the fact I'm not hearing from God, not what you're telling me. That's the bigger problem for me, you know. Um, I appreciate you sharing your insights and stuff, but if I'm not hearing from God, I'm, I'm going to set the problem I thought I had aside. I'm really going to focus on learning to hear from God again because that's a big deal. If I have to listen to everybody give me God's information, then I'm back to the bottle again. I'm not fishing. I'm not chewing. I'm not preparing my own meals again. Or, you know, I'm, I'm, going, I'm regressing um, back to uh, infancy as a, as a believer. And so I see that happening where people are gravitating towards buildings and support groups and people who will do for them what they need to learn to do for themselves. You know, now, I'm all for doing it. I'm, I'm all for supporting and encouraging people, but I want to support and encourage them uh, to get stronger so that they can do it on their own. You know, um, that's very important. I think very important. I mean, that's why we're a teaching ministry. Um, we teach the word of God from Genesis to Revelation, because I think you need to learn all the counsel of God, but also then apply it, use it, and then learn how to study on your own and, and, and absorb it and all. It's very important. So how does that apply to this chapter? Well, Elphaz, all three of these guys have volunteered their services to Job, and they've misunderstood almost everything about Job, especially that chapter 1, verse 8. He, he does fear God. He is in prayer. But he also knows that he's a sinner, and they're going to call him on that, thinking that he hasn't acknowledged that. But we've read the narrative. We've read exactly what he said. It's been documented that he said, I am not perfect. I am a sinner. I know that I've got problems. I know that I'm also righteous, though, because although I have sinned, I've done what's necessary to get right with God by offering up sacrifices. I sacrifice for my kids. I do all these things um, in respect to my worship of God that, that, that does bring that righteousness to me in the sense that I'm being obedient in my sin to how to rectify that sin with God at the time. He's doing that. But they're going to call him and they're just going to make these assumptions. And Job, he can't let that stand because it's wrong. And even in the condition that he's in with the boils from head to toe and the loss of life or family and the loss of um, all of his possessions and his, and his health, he still has to be the teacher. And that's a difficult thing to be when he needs, truly needs a counselor. He needs someone to comfort him. He needs someone to come alongside him in this and to understand, but they don't. And so they've become a part of the problem as opposed to a help, as opposed to a solution in Job's life. In verse 5, for your iniquity teaches your mouth and you choose the tongue of the crafty. Your own mouth condemns you and not I. Yes, your own lips testify against you. Are you the first, first man who was born? Or were you made before the hills? Or have you heard the counsel of God? Do you limit wisdom to yourself? What do you know that we do not know? What do you understand that is not in us? Both the gray-haired and the aged are among us, much older than your father. Well, first of all, Elphaz has put him in a position to being with God on this. He's made himself, look, look, uh, because God's going to ask him these very same questions later on in the last four chapters, but God's going to come from a much better perspective. He's going to say the exact, almost the exact same thing. But Elphaz is coming from the position that, you know, God and I have been watching you, Job. What? 
And we've come to the conclusion, who's we? That you're not the first man born. You're not older than the hills. You don't have the counsel of God. Limited wisdom's not. We should be able to counsel too. I mean, does this not sound like Aaron and Miriam? We've all been, we, we can all lead this congregation. Well, you're capable, Moses would say. He doesn't, but that's what he would say. Of course, you're capable of leading, but that's only if God calls you to do it. If God hasn't called you to do it, no, no, you can't do that. And so when it comes to Job and they say, you don't have the understanding. What, what do you know that we don't know? Well, I know that I'm right with God. I know my personal relationship with God is right. I know that I'm, I do fear him. I know that I, I do pray. I know that everything you've said about my relationship with God is wrong. So I do know more than you about that. And sometimes counselors need to be told that. Um, and I'm kind of sarcastic about it sometimes with people. It's like, I haven't, I haven't put out any applications for counselors recently. So you can, you can put yours in the drawer over there. I've got my counselors, my trusted advisors and counselors in my life. I'm not looking, for, there's no job openings for that. These are men of God that have walked with the Lord, that either died and gone on to be with the Lord, and I read their commentaries or I read their wisdom and what they've shared, or they're alive and they're doing well with the Lord and they're succeeding. And I listen to them and I put myself under, the, I put myself under their teaching and under their authority. But when a volunteer comes in and says, I want you to put yourself under my counsel, under my authority, I reject that completely. Absolutely. And you can too. That's very important to understand. Not everybody that comes into your life that says, thus says the Lord, is coming from God. And that's what I mean by when you think, well, they must know more than I do. They must have a better relationship with God than I do. They might not. And you might have a better relationship. You understand your relationship with God better than anybody else. And to have someone come into your life and start guessing and sometimes if someone comes for counsel for me, they ask me, I want counsel. I'm like, I don't have a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom. I'll pray about it. I'll see what God gives me. But if you want my answer now, I'm going to tell you what scripture says. Scripture says you need to be, you need to be reading. You need to be spending time in his word. Um, you need to be praying. Um, and you need to prepare yourself to pray. You know, there's, there's parts of that too. You can, you can restrict your prayer by not preparing yourself for it, not understanding who you're talking to. Um, demanding answers that you expect, not from what he actually wants to give you. There's a lot of ways to restrict your prayer. So you got to make sure you're doing that. So all I'm doing, I'm not, I'm not trying to say they're not doing that. All I can do is come in and say, these are things that can be problems in a person's walk with the Lord. And so you evaluate yourself based off of what scripture says about your walk. And sometimes at the end of everything I can come up with scripturally, they say, well, I'm doing all that. Well, I'm left to think that you're just suffering the sufferings of Job then. I don't know what else to tell you. I don't have any other answers. And as a counselor, as a human being, very limited on what we know about the person. Um, and, and these guys don't accept that. That's the problem with Ilfaz and, and, and Bildad, the shoe height, which we're going to hear from next week, and a couple of the, the other guy. Um, they don't have it. Now, when God shows up in the fourth or the last four chapters, I know we keep, we're excited to get there, right? Okay. I am too. Because that's the only person that's worth listening to is the last four chapters, really. Because um, it's dead on and right all the time. 
But when he steps in and begins to counsel and brings that, it's just like, oh, even his rebuke is comforting. Even him yelling at Job, stand up and prepare yourself like a man. And he's all boiled up and sore and everything. He's like, stand up and prepare. let me talk to you. Even that's comforting. And when it comes from God, I think that's how you know. How do I know the Holy Spirit speaking to me? Because when the counsel comes from the Holy Spirit, it, it's, like a warm, it's like a warm blanket that comes across you. It, and it may sting a little bit and it may be a, a rebuke. But when it comes from a loving father, when it comes from Jesus Christ, when it comes from the Holy Spirit, it's just like, I can take that. I can take that to the bank, spiritual bank, all day long. And what you say to me is just, it, it makes sense. It's true. It's always right. I'm so, I'm, I'm so blessed right now. I'm drawn closer to you, God. I don't feel alienated from you. I'm always leery of counsel that makes me feel like I'm not close to God or that I, he's so far from me that there's a, there, you know, it just doesn't, it doesn't bring me closer to God. So that's where this Elphaz is. You think, um, you think you know better. You think you know more. You think you're without sin. Job never said he knew more than them. He only, remember what he said. And this is what these guys are hearing. You think you know more than us. You think you have all wisdom and all understanding. That's not what he said last week. Last week, he said to them, do you think wisdom's going to die with you? He's saying, I know as much as you. I don't know more than you. I say, he says, I know as much as you about God. I do. And he does. Now, these guys took that to mean, do you think you know more? What do you know that we don't? Nothing. I didn't say that I did. But that's how they hear it. They're offended. They're offended that he's not listening to their counsel. I think that is the biggest red flag for anybody. Anybody. If you have a counselor come into your life and they say they have something from the Lord from you and you say, thanks, I'll pray about that. And they get mad. I guarantee, well, I won't guarantee it. But I would say that's a huge red flag that it did not come from God because anybody that got something from the Lord and felt like God wanted me to share that with you, hey, take it or leave it. This is what God showed me. I'm going to leave it, okay? I just did my job. I told you what it was. They ought to be able to walk away with peace in their heart knowing they were being obedient to God. But if they're mad at you, what do you mean you're not going to take my advice? Well, I just, I, it's not true. What do you mean it's not true? You don't think I hear from God? No, that's not what I said. I, you came to me, you know. Uh, they get mad. I'm always leery of that. And you can be. Um, Verse 11. Are the consolations of God too small for you? And the word spoken gently with you, he's speaking of himself. Remember that. I'm the consolation, Elphaz says. I'm speaking gently to you, but not anymore. Now I'm going to pick up my rhetoric here. I'm going to speak up louder. Why does your heart carry you away? And what do your eyes wink at that you turn your spirit against God and let such words go out of your mouth? Well, so far, he's just rebuked you, Elphaz, and you don't like it, you know. Um, The consolations of God are beautiful. The Holy Spirit is our counselor. He comes alongside of us and leads and guides us into all truth. He's our helper. Jesus Christ, what a great... consolation. He died on the cross for my sins and made a way for me where there was no way. You know, these are great consolations. No, I don't think anything about that, about God. You, Elphaz, I've got some doubts, you know. Have you turned away from, have your spirit turned away from God? No, just away from you, unless you think you're God, you know. 
What is, what is man that he could be pure? He never said he was pure. He said he had made things right with God and he has a right relationship with him. He's done what's required of the law. And he who is born of a woman, that he could be righteous. Now, that's true. No man is pure. No man is righteous. Everybody is born into sin. We understand that. But that's not what Job has ever said about himself. He's misunderstood. If God puts no trust in his saints, and and now the saints he's referring to there are are the angels at that time, because the church isn't around right now, so those are the saints we think about. Uh, But he puts no trust in his saints, and the heavens are not pure in his sight, how much less man who is abominable and filthy who drinks iniquity like water? I will tell you, hear me, what I have seen, I will declare. You know, wow, listen to me. You listen to me. You better listen to me. Wow. You drink iniquity like water. These are bold statements about Job that just aren't true. And so Job has got to sit there and listen to this. And he's got to debate Proverbs 26, 4 and Proverbs 26, 5. Or, you know, which do I do? Do I let this stand or do I answer him? What wise men have told, not hiding anything received from their fathers, to whom alone the land was given and no alien passed among them. So tradition says, the wicked man writhes in pain all his days, and the number of years is hidden from the oppressor. Dreadful sounds are in his ears. In prosperity, the destroyer comes upon him. He does not believe that he will return from darkness, for a sword is waiting for him. He wanders about for bread, saying, where is it? He knows that a day of darkness is ready at his hand. Trouble and anguish make him afraid. They overpower him like a king ready for battle. Now, Elphaz is putting a very fine point on it. You know, just in case you didn't understand who I was talking to you, only the wicked man writhes in pain all day long. That'd be you in the group of the four of us. That's you. Dreadful sounds were in his ears. Remember everybody telling you about how you lost everything, your family, your stuff, your health. Remember that? Prosperity, the destroyer comes upon him. You know, it's you, it's you, it's you. You're the guy. All these things. Now, he is going to contradict himself in this same chapter. Elphaz just said that a wicked man rides in pain all his days, and later on he's going to say, sometimes it happens later on in life. He's trying to cover his tracks, you know, because Job hasn't ridden in pain all of his life. It's only happened recently. Up until now, he's got adult children, off married with kids over here, um, and, and, and he's praying for them and all that. So later on in life, this has taken place in Job's life. And so he's got to cover up his, well, you know, wicked men, they just, they, they get pain all the days. And that's, that's what's going on with you. But I wasn't wicked all my days. Well, yeah. And he's going to cover it. It's frustrating to read. Because Elphaz is more concerned about his words being heard and being taken as God's word, as opposed to helping his friend, which is what he came there to do. It's more important to him that he established his authority in Job's life than he is about helping Job through this difficult time, you know? And so he's got to pile it on and he's going to get heavier and harder. And he thinks that's the solution. If I just hit Job harder, he'll crumble. He'll break. I'm just trying to break Job. Beat him, bust him. That's our custom. You know, go, God, go. No, 
not our job. It's not our responsibility to break people. Now, sometimes it happens just through service or through volunteering or through whatever. It just it takes place. But that's, that's the Lord just working out in people's lives, their own hearts, you know. Time tells a lot of things about people. Um, but this is, this is frustrating. Verse 25, for he stretches out his hand against God and acts defiantly against the Almighty, running stubbornly against him with his strong embossed shield. That's how he envisions Job. You're running at God. You're fighting against God. Stop fighting. Though he has covered his face with his fatness, here's where he contradicts himself, and made his waist heavy with fat, he dwells in desolate cities and houses which no one inhabits, which are destined to become ruins. He will not be rich, nor will his wealth continue, nor will his possessions overspread the earth. He will not depart from darkness. The flame will dry out his branches, and by the breath of his mouth, he will go away. Um, in this day and age, when you were uh, healthy, let's put it that way, um, well, really healthy to where fat covers your face and your waistline, that would prove that you're doing pretty good in life. You're not, you're not hurting, you know. If you were hurting, you'd look like that right there, but you're not hurting. We can tell by the way you're all plumped out, let's say. So that was an honor, or not an honor. It was like a, what do you call it? Um, that was your swag, I guess. That's, that was the BMW of the day. Well, look at that guy. Man, he must have a lot of money, you know, kind of thing. And so that's where they were. Uh, Brian, you'd be dirt poor. over. I'm picking on you a lot lately, aren't I? I don't, sorry about that. He's a a weightlifter. I am not. So we have to make him feel bad when he comes to church. (laughs) Every Sunday. (laughs) But back then, that's the idea. And so he's acknowledging the fact that, yeah, or the fact, uh, Freudian slip, that you were really, now you're skinny. See what's happened to you. But you weren't always like that. So the wicked don't always, they're not always, you know, it can sometimes happen later on in life. And God has obviously taken it away from you because of your wickedness. Verse 31, let him not trust in futile things, deceiving himself for futility will be his reward. It will be accomplished before his time and his branch will not be green. He will shake off his unripened grapes like a vine and cast off his blossom like an olive tree for the company of hypocrites will be barren and fire will consume the tents of bribery. They conceive trouble and bring forth futility. Their womb prepares deceit. I mean, that is heavy stuff to say to a guy in this position. Still, you know, you're just, you're just going to end up. Well, you're in the company of hypocrites, all right. That's true. That's true. So here's Job's response. Uh, chapter 16, verse 1. Then Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are you all. You know? <laughs> There's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out is what he should have followed up with. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Shall words of wind have an end? Or what provokes you that you answer? Who asked you is what he's saying. I don't recall inviting you to my house. You just sat down and you were quiet for a week. And I was kind of comforted by that. But then as soon as I opened my mouth, you were there to shut me down. I also could speak as you do. If your soul were in my soul's place, I could heap up words against you and shake my head at you. 
but I would strengthen you with my mouth and the comfort of my lips would relieve your grief, not bring more is the idea. Though I speak, my grief is not relieved. And if I remain silent, how am I eased? But now he has worn me out. You have made me desolate, all my company. You have shriveled me up, and it is a witness against me. My leanness rises up against me and bears witness to my face, speaking of my waistline shrinking and my face beginning to become gaunt, you know. He tears me in his wrath and hates me. He gnashes at me with his teeth. My adversary sharpens his gaze on me. They gape at me with their mouth. They strike me reproachfully on the cheek. Sound familiar? They gather together against me. God has delivered me to the ungodly and turned me over to the hands of the wicked. There's our messianic. You can see him foreshadowing Christ and what he would suffer. And turned me over to the hands of the wicked. I was at ease, but he has shattered me. He also has taken me by my neck and shaken me to pieces. He has set me up for his target. His archers surround me. He pierces my heart and does not pity. He pours out my gall on, on, on the ground. Excuse me. He breaks me with wound upon wound and runs at me like a warrior. Truly feeling alone. Um, now, you notice the capitalization of all the pronouns there, him, capital. You know, so he's, he's giving God the credit for all of this, even though all God has done is remove that hedge of protection and it's Satan doing all this stuff. He's applying it to the Lord. But for the sake of this foreshadowing of Jesus Christ, it does work. We do understand what he's getting at. Um, and maybe even a better understanding of when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even though he was pointing them to the psalm at the time, we understand that on the cross, he's also feeling it. Uh, if this cup can pass from me, I'd, I want it to pass from me. But if there's no other way, then I'll drink, you know? Because the idea of being separated from God to be on the other side of God's wrath was just a, a horrible experience for Jesus to be on that side, to have God's wrath poured out on him who was innocent on the cross. was something he wasn't interested in going through, never been separated from God, never been at odds with God, his father at all, ever. And so we can see that Job is starting to mimic that. It's like, it just feels like I'm, I'm at odds with God. I don't know what's going on. And from Job's perspective, he doesn't know that that conversation has taken place. In Job 1 and 2, we're privy to it, but his counselors aren't, and neither is Job. And so Job is going off of what he knows about his own walk, and those guys are going off of what they know about Job's walk. And so Job has a more honest view of it, but he does not know that conversation that's taken place. None of us do. None of us know what's going on or why things are happening the way they're happening or why I'm here or why I'm there or why trials or tribulations are coming. He only tells us that they're going to come that we're not going to experience or go through anything more than what we can bear. Those are promises we have. And that when we go through them, we can go through them with joy. It tells us that also that we can go through them with thanksgiving in our hearts. Um, And we know that we'll become better and closer to God at the end of it. Also, he promises all those things. He says that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. We should not be surprised at that. Should expect it. He gives us plenty of warning about what is coming our way in this life. 
and that we don't have to worry about his feelings towards us. It's, it's true and honest, and he's already declared his love at the cross. So I don't have to wonder about whether God has, see, Job doesn't have that either. He knows there is going to be a Messiah. I don't know that he fully understands it. I don't know that anybody in the Old Testament fully understood it, except maybe David. Um, but we have the benefit of that. We have beautiful vision into what God, how he feels about us, what he's done for us. It's explained to us what he's doing for us now, interceding for us, preparing a place for us, and going to bring us to that place. He tells us how the whole thing goes down, how it all ends. We have all that information, way more information than Job has. And so I want to go through the trials and the tribulations that come my way even better than Job does, knowing that he's already given me the counsel that I need, that the Holy Spirit has already come alongside of me. He's in me, dwells in me. He leads and guides me into all truth. He's my comforter and that I can trust and rest upon the word of God. And so Job is working through that. He breaks me with wound upon wound, runs at me like a warrior. I have sewn sackcloth over my skin and laid my head in the dust. My face is flushed from weeping, and on my eyelids is the shadow of death, although no violence is in my hands, and my prayer is pure. It's honest. I think that's what it means by pure. I'm just saying what it's like. This is what I'm going through. I'm talking to God like he knows what he's talking about, you know. And I'm telling him I don't understand. And I'm telling him I don't get it. And I'm telling him what what do you need me to do? You know, honest, pure prayer. When you read that, you get a renewed pity for Job, I think, as we've been going through this. Because sometimes we forget, again, like last week, that he's completely covered. And he's still mourning He's still grieving. He's still confused about his relationship with God. He feels like an island. He doesn't have any friends, no counselors that are beside him to help him through this. And so as he cries out to God through this last prayer here that we're reading, you can almost have more compassion on him and saying, you forget that he's going through this, that he's, that he's not just answering back these ridiculous um, accusations against him from Bildad or from this other guy, um, but that he... he I, I desperately, he says, in, in not so many words, I want pity. But someone just, I, there's something about that. I can't do, you ever see your kids sick? I mean, you have, right? Some of you, worse than you'd ever want to see them sick. And some of us have gone through some mild illnesses with our kids, fevers or whatever, but some have gone through much worse, I understand. And you so desperately would take that upon your, you give it to me. Give me the sickness, you know. Oh, God, help them. I remember our kids would go through this coughing. Oh, every one of them. I mean, just nonstop coughing all night long. And all you could do as a parent was just lay there with them and rub their back or talk to them or get them water or juice. That's all you could do is these external things. But it made it better for them. I didn't take anything away. I didn't take any of the symptoms away. We couldn't get the fever down. You can't stop the cough or whatever else your kids may be going through or have gone through, but you're there and you're bringing comfort to them. And just that, just someone understanding that, you know, just doing this to their forehead while they moan and groan about their fever is better. You know, it's so important. If we hear anything today as the body of Christ, at, at the least do that for each other. If I don't know what's going on or I don't have 
wisdom or answers or anything from God. I just see that you're hurting. I see you're struggling. I see you're going through this. Just that. Coming alongside and comforting people and saying, I, I, don't, I can't take any of this away from you. I wish I could. And then again, I know, you know, you, I always have to follow up as a pastor. Then again, I know God has a purpose and a plan for everything that's going on in your life. You know, <laughs> so I don't necessarily want to take it away from you because I don't know what he's doing in your life. But I can sit here with you. That's all he wants. I don't want to sew the sackcloth. It would be great if you sewed the sackcloth for me. It'd be great if you just sat there with a look on your face like, I'm sorry you're going through this. I know you can't take it away. I know you can't do anything about my kids that have all died. I know you can't do anything about my stuff. I know you can't do anything about that. I don't expect you to. But if you could just sit here with me and understand, you know, and and go through it with me, that means the world. I just don't want to go through this by myself. That's being a comforter and a counselor. If you're going to volunteer and step into somebody's life for that purpose, bring that. That's what we bring. Verse 18, O earth, do not cover my blood. And let me cry, having no resting place. Surely even now my witness is in heaven and my evidence is on high. My friends scorn me. My eyes pour out tears to God. Oh, that one might plead for a man with God as a man pleads for his neighbor. And when a few years are finished, I shall go away. I shall go the way of no return. That's all he's asking for there. And that's where we close this morning. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, help us to learn everything we can from this. As a, as a body, as a church here, we know we're going through the book of Job because many of us are either going through the struggles and trials that Job had or know somebody or will be in this position of a counselor or we just know that it'll, it'll be useful to us to go through this book. Help us to learn everything we can learn from it, God so that we can be a blessing to those around us so that we can go through our trials and difficulties with, um, with praise and with worship and, and with adoration towards you that we'd be able to um, still thank you for all that you've done for us to still go through these things. But also if we come along as counselors that we bring what is needed most, just comfort that we truly hear from the Holy spirit, be gifted with those gifts that we need understanding, pity, even insight if we need to. But if no insight, if there's no word of wisdom or word of knowledge or anything to offer them from you, help us to come alongside it just as a fellow human being who is susceptible to the things that they're susceptible to and bring to them what we would hope someone would bring to us in that same situation. So we thank you that we're going through this book. And we thank you for the trials and tribulations we are or will be going through. Thank you for the opportunities that you're going to give us to minister. Help us to walk worthy in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.